listening to the Companion Gundog Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Geyer. Today is Monday, August 7th, um, 2023. Uh, and so we're just wrapping up um, the Summer Retrieve program. I sent my final student home for that program today. Had a good turnover. So it always feels good at the end of uh, at the end of these classes to to get those last dogs in know the turnover went at least relatively well and that the dog is uh is going to go home prepared for the hunting season and so with dove season right around the corner we're all getting that itch i've been starting the countdown and uh, i'm looking forward to those cooler mornings and those leaves turning and an opportunity to get out there and uh and work with my dogs i don't have any major travel plans uh early season um, but I'm sure the opportunity will arise and we'll get out there and move a little bit around the country. But again, this year, you know, I'm looking forward to hunting closer to home. I've, I've in, in recent years, I've really enjoyed that. And I don't know if that's a, uh, you know, a sign of something in me, just my lifestyle changing a little bit or, um, you know, just kind of maturing and appreciating what I have, have here. And I'm, you know, I'm sure we're all different. I still look forward to travel and I still enjoy it, but, um, you know, there's, there's more to this little, uh, corner of the world than, than I ever imagined when I was first getting into this stuff. So I encourage everybody out there to, even if you feel like you don't have many resources available to you, um, try hard, get out there and get familiar with your own home territory. I think it's really important. Um, Before we get fired off today, a few things I want to touch on. Uh, We have finalized dates and grounds for the the St. Hubert um, gun dog field trial this year. Then, so Three Rivers Land Trust uh, is a local nonprofit here that's really uh, got a major impact locally on uh, conservation, all all things uh, dealing in conservation. But they they manage quite a bit of land. They allow public access for hunting, and they have graciously graciously agreed to host this year's St. Hubert's trial. So we've got a really nice property. Um, uh, along the banks of the Adkin River, just north of Salisbury, south of Moxville, North Carolina. Um, and that's going to be fantastic. Really natural looking grounds. Uh, it holds upland birds. We're going to be running this one on chucker um, because we do have a wild population of bobwhite quail out there. And we, we need to make sure we're not um, having too much of an impact on them. Uh, that, so that's hosted by Three Rivers and uh, and also sponsored by the Bird Dog Society. They're going to be handling a, a lot of the administrative duties as we go on. We've got a nice banquet planned for the Saturday evening. And again, that's February 3rd and 4th of 2024. So if you haven't made plans for those dates already, um, I know it's still quite a ways off, but go ahead and mark them on your calendar. Registration's open. I'll link to that in the show notes. I'll also put up a link to that um, on uh, the 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 homepage of my website. We'll go ahead and put that in the events and uh, and get you a link to that registration. So please plan to be there. It's going to, you know, I think it has the opportunity to be a uh, more than just a little field trial um, where, you know, and I am a firm believer in the St. Hubert's program and, and, you know, what it stands for, uh, for us all out there. It's conservation, sportsmanship, fellowship, the things that really matter to us in this community. And we need to put more of an emphasis on and, and, uh, and what I love about the bird dog society is, uh, is, is it's a move to unity and, and a community that is, 
uh, just seen more and more fragmentation over the years. I think it's time that the pendulum begin to swing back into kind of a big umbrella mindset. And we, we have room um, under here for everyone. So, uh, so again, the St. Hubert trial um, hosted by Three Rivers Land Trust out of Salisbury, North Carolina, and sponsored by the Bird Dog Society. Um, check them out on the Gun Dog It Yourself podcast. They do a monthly update there. Uh, speaking of the Bird Dog Society, I will be presenting for them on September 30th at the Hoffman Field Trial Grounds, and we'll be discussing woodcock hunting. And so for those of you that are into it, and uh, hopefully I can get out there and maybe share some tips that'll help you be more effective in the woods, and for those that have maybe been wanting to get into it for a while, but haven't quite figured out how to, how to make it happen. Um, you know, I'll do my best to give you some resources to get out there and let this be the year for you. Um, so look forward to seeing everyone there again. Um, I'll link to the bird dog society in the show notes as well. I'll probably put a link up on the website and on social, uh, and so you can register for that. I know there are limited spaces. And last I checked, they just had a couple of available, available spaces for that, that day. Um, but I think it's a good opportunity, certainly a good opportunity for us all to get together, meet each other. Um, and I, I'm a firm, you know, a big believer in what the bird dog society is trying to accomplish. And I, I, I applaud them and will continue to support them moving forward. Um, you know, this, the, so the summer's over, well, it's not over. We're in the full swing of it, but my work for the summer, that retrieve that force fetch program is now behind me. And, and again, that's a relief. It's always, you know, it's always a challenge to some degree. Usually I have a few really, um, you know, dogs that are talented in the, uh, in, in kind of all the things that they need to be in order to be great retrieving dogs. Uh, but normally I also have a few dogs that may, you know, need the, every bit of that process, uh, from start to finish and need every bit of the time to become proficient. And it's not, that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad dogs at what they do. Um, it's just different, you know, different breeds, different temperaments within breeds, um, different, uh, talents within breeds. And, uh, this year was kind of no exception. The pointing dogs, um, you know, they, they took a little extra time, uh, compared to the retrievers, the retrievers, got, uh, kind of got into their technical handling skills. Uh, and we, we saw a lot of proficiency from every single one of the retrievers we had in the program this year. Um, you know, but we had, uh, the couple of pointing dogs that were here were more bird doggy type pointing dogs. Well, I said, take that back. One of them was, the other one was a really nice retriever. Um, but kind of pertinent to, uh, what we're going to discuss today. And, and so, uh, that is hard mouth in gun dogs. So we did have one of those. We knew what we were dealing with before he got here. He had been through a bird dog program with me before, and we knew, uh, you know, he had a, uh, a lot of zeal in regards to chasing, capturing his birds. And when he did, he, cert- he, you know, if he wasn't trying to ingest them, he was certainly, uh, uh, tenderizing them to the point of no return before they got to you and then getting them back from them was a challenge as well. So this is not, uh, it's not the most common problem in the world with our, with our dogs, but it's a, it's, it's not uncommon at all either. So it may not be relevant to many of you out there listening. Um, but, uh, but some of you may be struggling with it. And so today I'm going to try to break down, 
you know, maybe the whys of, uh, of hard mouth, why a dog might be hard mouthed and, and maybe why are dogs that are not, don't have hard mouths, maybe why, uh, they tend to have, you know, what I would call a gentle mouth by nature or a soft mouth by nature. And, um, and then once we have kind of touched on, uh, you know, maybe what the, uh, the root of those issues are, then we can move forward and what we can do about it. And so I, I am, you know, I would like to, I think like all things we deal in probabilities, but I think hard mouth is one of those very fixable problems in most cases. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a quick and easy fix like most things. I think we need to, to dig deep, uh, and, and work hard and take a very holistic approach around all retrieving in order to have the, the greatest lasting impact on hard mouth. And so, uh, let's get into maybe trying to answer some of the questions of why does hard mouth exist in some of our gun dogs. And I think like most all things, whether they be considered problems or, uh, or assets to us in the field, um, there's two reasons they exist. And one of them is nature. The other is nurture. All right. So I don't, I don't think that any of the behaviors we look for in the field or that we try to avoid in the field are just one or the other. Um, I think they can, we can exacerbate, uh, some natural behaviors, um, with our actions. And sometimes we can do it to the point that it becomes habit and it needs to be counter conditioned. And I think that tends to be the case oftentimes in hard balance, but not always. I, I think hard, you know, in regards to hard mouth, diagnosing kind of whether or not it's man-made is pretty simple and pretty easy in it. And, you know, if I'm taking a dog into a force fetch program, I would say within the first few sessions, I'll, I'll have a pretty good handle on whether this dog, you know, has, ha, is hard mouthed, um, by nature, or it's just been in, you know, kind of a function of things that have been going on at home in early training. And, uh, if it is something that's man-made, I think that's pretty simple for the most part and relatively easy to overcome if we're putting our time and effort into training our re- retrieve mechanics. Um, so let's, you know, we'll just talk whether it be genetic or environmental, you know, what specific causes are there of hard mouth? And one I would say is high predation. That's a genetic quality for the most part, right? So we have dogs that are just extreme predators and that's not uncommon in hunting dogs. That's, that's why, uh, they were selected in the first place to, to come help mankind, um, track down game. And, and so when we have these dogs with, that are high in predatory instinct, um, that that's going to lend itself to wanting to chase, capture, possess, right? That's predation. They're satisfying prey drive and the possession part is the next thing. Like, so if a dog is high in predation and high in possession, uh, we're, we're likely to see, you know, in my opinion, we're likely to see hard mouth in those dogs at some point in time. You know, things that we may do to exacerbate that. And it's something that I do, and I've spoken about at length on this podcast, is what what I, I might consider drive building. So if I have a young dog that I'm doing a first-time bird exposure to, I put that 
compromised quail out in front of them. And the very first thing they do is charge that thing, grab it in their mouth and try to eat it. Well, I, you know, that dog is telling me right there, he doesn't need a whole lot of that. And maybe that's not something I've done a great job of describing in, in past podcasts is that, you know, I, I want to make monsters, but sometimes I'm starting out with a monster. And if that's the case, then, then I'm certainly not doing him any favors by just continuing to feed him compromised birds on a daily basis, right? So r- right away, we can start making those dogs more elusive and try to get the stalk into that dog. Um, you know, but before we start worrying about what he's doing with his mouth on that bird, we need to start worrying. We need to worry about whether he's a proficient hunter and when he makes contact with that bird on the ground um, before it's been shot what's he doing? Is he, and if it's a pointing dog, we want him to stalk and to point. Right. Uh, and so we, you know, we've discussed that at length. And the first thing I want to do is have a relationship, uh, between the dog and the bird in which the bird, um, you know, does what prey does naturally, which is, you know, ground dwelling birds anyways, wait to the last second in spring. And, uh, and I want my dog to do what pointing dogs do naturally, which is become really cautious when they get close because they know it's going to spring and that they're going to potentially lose access to that game. And then, so that leads to our point. So if I have one of these high predation, um, young dogs, that's really tough in the field puppy, uh, he doesn't need me to pour a bunch of weak birds on him in in the very, you know, first stages, you know, he just needs to go out, experience the world and bump into birds that can get away from him. And I expect him to chase and go crazy. And then we can begin to temper that from that point forward. If they're high in possession, I recognize that too. I'm not going to put them constantly. If I have a dog that's high in possession, um, you know, and wants his resource and is willing to keep it away from me, uh, I'm not going to give him access to a lot of resources that he can uh, covet and possess and keep away from me. Um, there's going to be times where I, I'm going to shape that possession back into engagement and turn it hopefully into a retrieve. There's, you know, when we get such high levels of possession that it's problematic, that's tough and we have to overcome it. But before we worry about what they're doing with that high value item in their mouth, we need to worry about our control. You know, so do I have a recall on that dog to begin with? If I don't, and he goes and grabs a bird off the ground and runs away from me with it, then, I, you know, I, that's my fault. I'm at, I'm at the mercy of what's going on with that dog and bird. So I'm going to put a lot more emphasis and effort into developing a handle on that dog before we get back into those situations. Um, high independence. That would be another quality, you know, uh, is my dog by nature, um, engaging with me? Is he looking to me to play games with, or is he out there seeking his game on his own? Is he worried about being in my presence all the time? Our pointing dogs tend to be much more independent than our flushers and retrievers by nature. Um, that doesn't necessarily make our flushers and retrievers codependent. Uh, but if, if we were to look at the spectrum, they certainly lean much more in that direction, uh, than our pointing dogs, you know, and our, and so we can expect our pointing dogs and kind of hope that our pointing dogs are independent because they need to be out working away from us. That's where the value is. And so in regards to, uh, independence, you know, if we want to make sure we're putting a lot of time and effort into, um, into social development. We want to spend a lot of time socializing those puppies. We want to spend a lot of time with those puppies and we want to put time, you know, for me with my pointing dogs, I think it's, 
you're not going to see the flashy results that you might see in, in your more uh, engaged breeds in our reward-based training. But I think it can be very valuable early for our pointing dogs to understand that they can kind of coexist with us and they come to us to get things that they want. And that's going to help down the line. If they see us as a, as a playmate and as a teammate and uh, as a protector, as a leader, you know, and I'm not big into like pack theory, social hierarchy stuff as it relates to dog training for the most part, but I certainly acknowledge its existence, but I, I see it kind of as a, as a, as an accessory to what we do on a daily basis in training. So we can help our dogs, you know, maintain the independence they need in hunt, but also um, engage with us when it's appropriate. And so we need to put our time and effort into that early uh, to ensure when we get further down the road, um, our dogs aren't just seeing us as a, uh, you know, kind of a competitor or a threat to their resource. And that's going to help us let them learn to share uh, their resources with us. Um, I've, I've got... I've got competitive aggression in here and that kind of flows right along with what I was just talking about. And aggression is is not a great word here, but I like it. It's, it's a competitive aggression is kind of a common term in the protection sports. When we're trying to describe a dog that is acting aggressively, but in a competitive fashion. So I think of this like as in a sport, you can, you can play tennis aggressively. It doesn't mean you're causing physical harm to your opponent. Um, but you're, you know, you're, you're definitely approaching your task with uh, a level of intensity uh, to the point that it could be considered aggressive. So when I'm saying aggression there, I'm not talking about being a physical threat to anyone, um, though it's certainly possible if we're considering resource guarding down the road. Uh, but that's, you know, what, I, what I'm getting at is, does my dog see me as competition and does that create more intensity uh, in the capture chase and possession of that game. And then of course, if they're not engaging with us afterward, if they're not sharing that resource with us, then that's kind of problematic and it needs to be, uh, it needs to be mitigated. So, um, you know, so I'll run down that list again and, and we'll kind of add the icing on the cake. I have high predation. And so by nature, a dog can be high in predation, high in predatory behaviors. Things we may do to exacerbate that would be that early drive building stuff. If I have that super aggressive, competitively aggressive dog, and I'm out there continuing to play tease with birds and letting them catch and chase and run away with it, um, then I, I can certainly expect him to not be any more engaging in the future. And then, of course, if we're talking in terms of hard mouth, then this is something I would not at all be surprised if that developed in here, right? So if the dog's worried about us competing with them over the resource, they're also high in predation. We can expect maybe to see that hard mouth develop. Uh, high possession. Um, the dog wants to possess his toy. He doesn't necessarily want to share it. He covets the item, the high value resource. Things we may do to exacerbate that. And, and, um, you've heard me in the past and I still am not afraid of this, but if we're playing games of tug of war over other toys and items, then that, that could certainly translate to the dog, um, uh, you know, kind of, uh, wanting to play tug of war with game with us and, and it could be damaging to the game and could lead to, you know, what we would consider kind of classic hard mouth, um, 
we we got into high independence. So if this dog's not getting a lot of social development early, if we're not carrying him around with us, introducing him to other people, you know, then he may not be super confident in the presence of other people, and he may you know run off and want to possess that item even more. That you see the general theme here, guys, is value of the resource. Uh, the independence, the dog not wanting to engage us or interact with us around their resource. And so we have, these are, this, these are the seeds of the hard mouth. Um, and then, you know, we get into like resource value and I've got in parentheses next to that kind of value games. Um, and I think that, that's easier to discuss and we talk when we get into the like how we're fixing it but I, I i want my dog to work for me for items that aren't extremely high value necessarily so you know i, I think this is where training with food and toys and things like that this is where we can build our habits that are going to help us um go f- you know carry over into the field so you know we can create conditioned responses with items of lower value that will certainly um, have a higher probability of translating into uh, games with um, items of much higher value. Uh, and so, you know, again, um, you know, the pro- one of the problematic aspects of this, and when I see this immediately, I, I kind of expect hard mouth is if I have a dog that's kind of guarding resources by nature and this, you know, you might want to be careful with this. So if our puppies are growling over the food bowl, if they're taking their toys into the corner and growling at us or other people in our family, um, you know, that's not something to be taken lightly. You might want to consult a trainer locally, uh, and, and just recognize that, uh, when we have these dogs that are high in these traits, um, it's not uncommon to see that as a problem. So, uh, so it's something worth thinking about. And, uh, and then you might ask yourself, well, why is this problematic? If what we're trying to produce are high prey drive dogs, you know, what are we doing in genetic selection that's making this a problem in some dogs? And then in other dogs, we have, you know, we, we get what we need out of our prey drive and we don't have all of the accessory issues. You know, I don't think I'm not a, a very prolific breeder and, uh, and I would never knock anybody that, you know, ends up producing, some hard mouth dogs or even dogs with resource guarding issues. I think it's a very fine line. Um, when we're selecting our brood stock, uh, you know, trying to capture high prey without problematic predation. Like it's there, you know, it's almost, um, you know, it's, it's a moving target. So, you know, I think, um, I think it's important that we look for socially confident dogs, you know, and I'm not saying that it's a lack of confidence that creates hard mouth. In some cases, I think it might be, you know, I think resource guarding can certainly be a lack of confidence. And I think it's something we see as an accessory to hard mouth on occasion, Um, you know, but uh, dogs that probably have some inappropriate social attributes, you know, as well. So dogs that we see as, you know, uh, is maybe a little pushy socially with people or other dogs, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon to see it there either. Um, you know, but those are the things we can observe, 
you know, and, and it, and, and they don't always align. You know, sometimes we might have the most sweet, happy, driven, um, engaging, tractable dog that just for whatever reason, when he gets that bird in his mouth, he just loves the sensation of the crunch. Um, and regardless, you know, of why it exists, uh, and, and what we could have done, uh, genetically to mitigate it in the first place or through early development, we may find ourselves in a situation where here we are, we have our year old, two year old, whatever hard mouth dog. And, and now, you know, all of the things aside, that's, that's the issue we need to focus on. Um, and so I'd, I'd say first and foremost, we want to just have, uh, we want to have good obedience. So that's, that's a, the first place to start, you know, and, uh, we want to, you know, have compliance. We want to have a, a, a dog that not only understands consequences of inappropriate actions, but knows how to get what they want by doing things in, in, in the correct fashion. So get out there first and foremost, and spend a lot of time just training generally with your dog. It, it will help. It certainly will not hurt when we focus directly on hard mouth, when it's time. So we've put all the legwork in, we've got a very obedient dog. We got a clean recall. The dog knows all the here, he'll sit, stay stuff. It's all clean. The dog's hap looks happy doing the work. It's engaged. It loves to go play with you. You may be able to play bumper and ball with no mouth problems whatsoever. And then all of a sudden we get to the field um, and we shoot a bird and we, and again, it, to, even more than the bird, the bumper and ball and all that, we may go out with like frozen birds and, and the dog have a fine mouth on frozen birds and even to the point of cold game. But then that thing has a pulse, right? And, or maybe just a little bit of feedback. Maybe it's, it's, you know, it's wounded and, um, and he gets that in his mouth and he just can't control himself or she, you know, what do we do then? Well, I think, I think the first approach in, in all hard mouth cases is we need to recognize that if we're going to take a holistic approach, that means training the mechanics of the retrieve somehow. And so this could be the force fetch, uh, which I commonly practice. It's the, what I went through all summer long with the dogs that were in my class. Or it could be, even if, if a, a, a reward-based, and when I'm saying reward-based here, I'm, I'm usually thinking of food, a food-based mechanically correct retrieve, uh, trained retrieve. And, and, and it's, you know, many, many people do it every day. So we can deeply condition uh, all the the smallest steps of the retrieve and put them in order and have a dog that goes out, gets a retrieve item, brings it back to us, presents it to us cleanly um, in order to get what they want. And most times that's food because when we're dealing in retrieve items, we're most often dealing in, uh, in like prey triggering items. If we throw it out there, it bounces off the ground and our dog's excited to go play with it. Uh, and it runs out there, grabs it. And even if it brings it back to us, if it's doing that kind of naturally, if it's doing that because we've shaped that through play and the dog is uh, enticed by that prey trigger of that item being thrown, then that's not a, uh, what I would consider a mechanically trained retrieve. We can shape really nice behaviors through play. Uh, and we can get really nice retrieves out of many, many dogs just through play. Um, but if we're dealing with hard mouth, we need to condition it on a different level. We need to 
take all the steps. And this is when we talk about hold and carry and delivery and pick up off the ground um, and, and do whatever I ask you to do. You put that thing in your mouth, you bring it to me, you present it to me, you hold it in your mouth until I've accepted it from you or released you from it. And so if we're thinking in terms of a reward-based scenario, this would be, uh, and there's many, many videos of, of people out there doing it. Um, you know, a, a marker system would be most commonly employed. You put your, you know, you, you look at it, I click and we successively pro- approximate to the point where, um, you know, you look at it, I click, I treat, you touch it with your nose. I click, I treat, you put your, you know, your mouth on it. I click, I treat, you open your mouth, you touch your teeth to it. I click, I treat. And then I begin to ask for duration. I begin to ask you to carry the weight of that item. And you hold that duration with that item in your mouth until I click and release you from that. And you receive your treat. And we carry that all the way forth to going and getting something, whether it be thrown or whether it just be sitting there going, picking it up, putting it in your mouth, holding it calmly, getting back to me. We can do all of that. Uh, through a clicker training system or a marker training system. Like I said, many people have done it. It's marvelously effective and, uh, and you, you can deeply condition that behavior in that system. Now it's not always, you know, in comparing it to the forced fetch, I don't think they are the same thing. I think when you train something compulsively and you have the power to compel a dog to that, it's, it's, you know, in some ways there's advantages to that. Um, and especially probably in hard mouth, there would be advantages to that as well. If I can make you not want the item in your mouth, that's something that would be extremely satisfying as a predator to put in your mouth. And now I can say, Hey, not only is it not triggering prey, you're doing this under discipline, not because you want to. And, and if you're satisfying that, you know, uh, that kind of predatory impulse by putting it in your mouth and having a good time with it, I'm going to devalue that bird to the point you're not going to want to do that. And, and that's what I think, you know, you can accomplish with force fetch. And the key being guys is that this is no longer a prey item. If you're retrieving it through a trained, conditioned mechanical retrieve, it's, you're not picking it up, putting it in your mouth because it's triggered prey. And so there is utility in doing this with items a dog normally would not want to pick up and put in their mouth. And, and, uh, you know, when I was training in detection dogs, it was very common to have like a copper pipe be a part of a test for a, uh, if a dog would retrieve a copper pipe and want to put it in their mouth and hold it, then, you know, the people that were purchasing detection prospects from you saw that as a, uh, you know, as a, a corollary, uh, to, to, you know, a good detection dog prospect down the road dog that's willing to chase anything, put it in their mouth and play with it is probably a dog with enough drive and desire. And, and especially if they're retrieving it, bringing it back to you, engaging you over it, tractability to, to be able to make a detection dog out of, and they liked that copper pipe thing because it's not a satisfying thing to put in your mouth. Doesn't feel good in your mouth. Right. And so many dogs were being force fetched or uh, getting some sort of trained retrieve on copper pipes back in those days. I'm sure it's probably still a part of some people's uh, criteria for for detection dog selection. Um, But it it does show uh, a dog's willingness to do something that would not be inherently satisfying 
otherwise. And, and so that's what we want to get out of a trained retrieve. So I'll often use PVC pipe. You'll see people using hammers and things for their hole conditioning. Like get that in your mouth, carry the weight. Doesn't matter that you don't like it. If you want to get your reward or you want uh, to defeat the pressure you're feeling, then you need to put this thing in your mouth and you need to possess it until I, until I take it from you. And I want you to do that with a clear and calm head. And most dogs are going to do it that way if they're working, if they're working for outside reinforcers, meaning they're escaping um, the pressure of pain and negative reinforcement, or they're seeking a positive reinforcer. They're, all they want, this is just a means to an end, this holding this thing in their mouth. Uh, and so that's a, that's an important place to get. And so we go through that process. We get them doing it whatever way we do it. Personally, for me, they're on the table, right? We start with a toe hitch. We transition to an e-collar. We get them picking up off the ground. We're doing it with bumpers. We're doing it with PVC pipe, dumbbells, all sorts of things that you're you're picking up, you're carrying to me, and you're asking me to relieve you of the burden of having that thing in your mouth. Uh, and so if we get there, if I can take an item you wouldn't normally, and pardon, I've got a dog behind me having a, uh, it sounds like a wonderful dream. So, Yellow. I'm going to wake her up real quick. Pardon me for that one. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if you're willing to do that over an, over an item that's not satisfying to have in your mouth, then hopefully we can kind of transfer those same behaviors to something that would be more satisfying. Um, and, and oftentimes that will do the trick. So oftentimes just the act of force fetching, if I've done this repeatedly enough that we've conditioned you to just put something in your mouth, hold it, get to me, uh, we're getting high level compliance. Um, you're, you're working to, to in it within a system. Um, then oftentimes we slowly kind of take that thing that's less satisfying. We allow it to be more satisfying. We allow it to be an item that would normally be more satisfying, but we keep the context the same. The rules still apply. Uh, and then, you know, and we have to kind of wait and see. And oftentimes, dog, oftentimes dogs will just transfer those skills that they picked up in the force fetch. They're not, they're, they're feeling likely in the early phases of transitioning back to the field work, um, you know, there's a, a bit of always distress because they're expecting, you know, to be compelled into, into action. Uh, Hey, just, I'll pick this up. Normally, boy, normally this bird would be satisfying, but right now I just want to get it back to this guy and get it out of my mouth. And, and so I would say the majority of times for me, if I'm dealing with a hard mouth dog, um, and a, and we go through a nice comprehensive force fetch program. Uh, that's it. It's, it's pretty much fixed and it usually carries over for life. Often, sometimes it'll backslide. Sometimes the game gets a little too much fun again and the, the bad mouth starts and then we just kind of need a little refresher of, of why we're here and what we're doing. And if we're, if we're training as we go, normally that doesn't slip back and it doesn't, you know, once I'm out of force fetch, I never want to go back to making it a sheerly compulsive behavior. The great thing about force fetch is it allows me to take something that was satisfying and triggering prey in the first place, or hopefully doing that, you know, go through the mechanics where now we're doing it, um, strictly under discipline, and then when it's all said and done, we can make the game fun again, but recognize that the rules that we learned uh, through that process still apply. When we have dogs that we don't, 
that don't are not cured of hard mouth after a force fetch or after a uh, reward based mechanical conditioned retrieve, uh, then we can kind of reach for some of the gimmicks out there. And this is so, and I remember, I remember walking into, it was a, I think a Bass Pro Shop. Um, and it was a long time ago. The Bass Pro Shop north of Charlotte had just opened. And I remember going in there and looking at the dog training section, which I would, you know, I used to do before the online stores were really big and just kind of wander through and see if there was anything I wanted. And I remember seeing a, uh, a spiked harness to put on like a quail or a pigeon or whatever. And this was a like kind of a hard mouth fix type type of deal. Um, you know, they still exist. The one that they were selling in Bass Pro and I'm surprised, like I wouldn't, I would never use that particular item. It had really like sharp spikes and I think it could cause injury to the dog. And I think I don't want to do that. I don't want to put something in a bird that if a dog chomps on it, not only is it going to be unpleasant, but it could injure the dog. I don't, I don't want the vet bills. I don't want to hurt my dog. Like I don't want to physically injure my dog. I, if my dog feels some discomfort in training as, as long as we're making progress and my dog is a willing participant because there's still motiv- motivational elements to my training, then I, you know, discomfort is, is a normal part of life and that's a normal part of a dog's life. And I think we can help them, uh, you know, become more resilient and be better dogs and, and help, you know, be better members of our team, uh, sometimes through the application of discomfort. But in this case, this thing's going to cause physical injury. So if you look at it, if you're looking into these gimmicks, and so I've seen people use like wire bristle brushes, like that one, I'm not, I don't think is the end of the world. I don't think that a dog is inclined if you're going to like tape a wire bristle brush to, um, you know, to a bird, you're not likely to injure your dog with that. Hopefully if we just, if we have one of those kind of super monsters, right. That's that, could injure themselves and not care, then we might want to think twice. But I've seen like, particularly what I'm thinking of is like a harness with rivets on it. And so the rivets aren't likely to puncture the skin. They're likely to create discomfort and they're likely to not allow the dog to uh, get that intrinsic satisfaction of crunching your bird without some, without enough discomfort to stop the behavior. And, and so I would say that the only time I would ever consider employing any of these gimmicks, whatever they may be, and again, never one that would, that I would run the risk of injuring my dog with would be after I've been through a comprehensive conditioned, you know, trained retrieve program. And so that my dog understands exactly what's being asked from start to finish, go pick the item up, return to me immediately, present it to me and wait till I relieve you of it. Um, and, and once I've got all that and my dog is still hard mouthing a bird, then I think it would, you know, potentially be time to reach for one of these things. I would more than likely go back to less satisfying objects, uh, you know, and work. I would, I would put more phases of obedience into my retrieve. Like, Hey, you don't get to, you know, you I can compel you to do things. Now, of course, we've got to always be careful to not risk an association between having a retrieve item in your mouth and, uh, and, you know, levels of pain or compulsion that may de- develop an association between that item and 
and pain to the point that they don't want to, they don't want to perform the action anymore or that they get some sort of uh, superstitious belief that the item is causing them too much pain and too much stress to kind of continue to move forward. So we've got to make sure that all of our signals are clear, that all of our behaviors are well understood and then, uh, you know, go back through our less satisfying objects to frozen birds potentially. And then I might even, you know, with my frozen birds, I might introduce this item because I know my dog's less inclined to go crazy hard mouth on it. And so if you don't think that's doing the trick, then we, you know, we move on to cold game and then we move up to warm game. And odds are now you put that warm game in your mouth. It's the thing that you would expect to normally be, uh, uh, satisfying to the point that you want to crush it, possess it, go back through all those um, old behaviors that you had prior to your trained retrieve. Uh, and now you, you attempt that and it's uncomfortable, but the option to drop it is not really there if you want to complete the sequence. And, and so I think we can kind of, con- now you have the sensation of having uh, that live game in your mouth or that warm game in your mouth that, that familiar sensation that would normally trigger uh, the hard mouth issues. You attempt the hard mouth, it's not satisfying, and now we can, you know, hopefully through repetition, condition you to a softer mouth on, on live game. And, and so that, you know, I think, again, I think a, a, a forced fetch or if you're averse to that, a trained retrieve and a reward-based system stand a very good chance on their own of fixing your problem. As long as you are maintaining a standard moving forward. And if they're not that, that's your time to reach for your gimmicks. So, you know, uh, I think that says pretty much everything I have to say about hard mouth and how I would fix it. Why I think it, it exists. If you've got you know, if there's something I missed in there, if you've tried something in the past, if you've heard of something in the past, let me know. Reach out, shoot me a DM, shoot me an email, and uh, and tell me about it, and uh, and I'll I'll address it on a future podcast. Um, you know, I, I am you know I'm I think that uh, there was more that I wanted to say on our last episode, um, drive capping. Uh, and I considered expanding on that one in this episode, um, but I'm going to hold off. Uh, what I'd really like to do is maybe bring somebody else in that I that I think is an expert uh, on that particular subject. You know, so it's it's fun to to have these deep dives. It's fun for me to think about it and just sit here alone and try my best to articulate my own thoughts on the matter. Um, but sometimes things are important enough to me that I want to bring in somebody that I really respect and admire, uh, their thoughts on the subject and engage their brains and mouths. So, so look forward to that in the future. If you, if there were, you know, if if you felt like there were, there was something wanting out of the last podcast, I was pretty happy with it for the most part, but I want more from it. And, and if you haven't figured it out, if you listen to this podcast, uh, I, I think the general theme is, hey, you know, there's a million ways to roam, a million roads to roam, I reckon. Um, and and all of them have merit. Uh, it's the 
it's the un, the greater understanding of geography, if you will. And in this case, the greater understanding of behavioral sciences that gives us the opportunity to pick and choose our roads. So that's what I like to do. That's the way I like to think. I, I would love to see this transfer into more progressive training on my end. And so I'm working hard on that. Uh, and, um, and again, I really appreciate the feedback, guys. There was a real market uptick in ratings and reviews, uh, you know, in, really in the last month or so. Uh, some very thoughtful beat feedback. If you're listening, Roy of Arabia, uh, I'm paying attention. I'm trying, and I appreciate your uh, very thoughtful review. And um, and uh, going forward, uh, I'll, I'll make moves to improve on uh, on the things you suggested. So please keep sending that. Send me advice if you want to see this thing change in any way. Let me know what you think. Uh, suggestions for future topics are always appreciated. And, uh, and I'll look forward to talking to you guys next time. Thanks. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today.